Last week we talked about in the creeds, they start where they should start. That said, with a saying that they believe or we believe that in God the Father. We need to talk about that a little bit more. We did some evidences last week and that's always fun and we can do that all through the summer, uh, rather through the fall and through the winter if you'd like. But instead, moving forward, the next line says that they believe in Jesus the Christ. I've met a lot of folk that have, uh, have accepted that there is a God. And it may not be a personal God, though. It might be a God-like force. For example, Albert Einstein, I didn't meet him, but he said God does not play dice with the universe as he was talking about the, the formulas that he was putting into an effect and how he had some disagreement with some other f uh, physicists that more were in the realm of chaos. He says God does not play dice with the universe. He did not believe in a personal God who had a son named Jesus. He was looking at this as a force, just a creative entity of some sort. Maybe even some of them believe that God is the entire universe. It's some form of a neural network. It gets interesting. Well, we looked last week at a few of the hundreds of evidences in Scripture that point to a real God who spoke to us through real people and through his book. The second line of the creed moves on to add this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. The Nicene Creed phrases, uh, phrases it this way. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only son of God. It is only fair to ask then, is this reasonable? Is this a reasonable faith that reasonable people will, will embrace? I mean, look at what we're saying here. We believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the anointed one is what that word means. The one who was promised way back in the Garden of Eden, the one who was promised when Adam and Eve fell and that whole thing about the prophecy about the snake and the such, which we'll look at later on, but not today. So we need to, is that reasonable to say we believe that God showed up on the planet through Jesus? Well, let, let's back up a little bit. And, and deal with an objection to our faith that I've heard repeatedly in my life. And here I need to perhaps bother some folk in the room. And I don't ever like doing that, even though I'm gifted in it. I'm, I don't really like doing that. And I hate to kill the internet, but I'm about to. Um, two things really kill the internet before we even look at, at scripture. One is that the plural of anecdote is not data. Yeah, you have interesting stories, but that doesn't mean that's data. That doesn't mean it's actually true all the way across the board. But here's the big one. Assertions are not arguments. And the internet is full of assertions. Politics are full of assertions. But they're not arguments. An example would be, if I say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's an assertion. It's also a confession, but we're not going to muddy the waters here. It's an assertion. If I want to back that up, I need to have data that backs it up. That is what turns it into an argument. An argument is not a negative thing if it's conducted properly. It means I'm going to bring all my data to the mix. You bring all of your data to the mix. We will sort through the data and find what is reality. That's what an argument is supposed to be, not an exchange of assertions. For example, no matter where you stand on the current issue with the Supreme Court justice going on. Seriously, no matter where you stand, 
a couple of people who should know better had made assertions on television, if this man is appointed, millions of women will die in the streets. Huh. Now that's an assertion, clearly, but it's not an argument. How will that happen? How will that follow one to the other? And the more you look at that, the more it breaks down. The New York Times this week said that we have 12 years left as a people, as humanity, before climate change destroys us all. And that's a, a very interesting uh, assertion. And they did bring some, some data behind it. But I have lived long enough to have been told, I don't know how many times we've only got 12 years left. So I need more data then they, they, it's, a, it's an assertion. The same way that when we say, I believe that Jesus Christ is, a, is the Christ, the son of the living God, that's an assertion. We're going to need to have some data. But before we even play that game, there's an assertion that you will hear. Young people, get ready. You will hear it all your life. I've heard it all of mine. They will say, you know, there's not even any real evidence that a man named Jesus ever lived. Now, people who have jobs, who are allowed to drive vehicles and eat with cutlery should not make such assertions. It sh in fact, it, it might disqualify you from being allowed to have sharp implements. There, if, if that was true, if it was true that there, weren't, there was no evidence that Jesus ever lived, that would be news. That would be very big news indeed. I hear it so frequently whenever I tell people, what is your evidence? that makes you say that, they kind of freeze because they've heard it. Everybody knows it. You know, don't, just don't buy that. Whenever everybody knows it. I've had people come to me and say, you know, I, a lot of people are telling me what that means is he wants to say something. There's nobody telling him. It's him telling him. But he wants to add weight to the assertion. So when somebody goes, well, everybody knows there's no evidence, I just smile and say, now that's very interesting. That's an assertion. What's your data? Assertions have destroyed a lot of good people. A lot of good people. We need to have the data. Talk to me about your data. One of our members asked me a few weeks ago if I still did research in neuroscience, and the answer is no. No, I don't. I mine other people's research. I read their stuff, and I put it together, and I see how much argument is in there. What, how much understandable segments can we put together and say we are confident about this. I love data. I love reading studies, and I love reading research papers, and I know that makes me an odd duck to you, but trust me, you do some things that make me shake my head as well, so we're, we're all in there together. When someone tells me that the one I call my Lord did not walk on earth, that he never existed, I'm going to ask for data, and I'm going to supply data. It's amazing to me that people who deny that Jesus ever existed believe all kinds of other things without checking the data. One of the more popular guys who writes books about there is no Jesus, and you've got to give him kudos because it's hard to write a book about something you say didn't happen. Dr. Robert Price believes in aliens, but not in Jesus. I find that fascinating, depressing, sad, debilitating, all of these things. I mean, people believe their phones are giving them cancer. People believe they're being killed by GMOs. If you don't know what GMOs are, you're not one of the people who think they're being killed by them. 
genetically modified food is what we're looking at here. And people say, no, no, we can't do, you know, Chipotle now even advertises they don't have that. And I'm saying that's what I wanted, Mexican food with, an, with a side of bad science. Every food you've ever eaten in your life is genetically modified. We've been modifying them ever since uh, Noah went into dry dock. And yet, the, and the number of people worldwide who have been sickened or died uh, with GMO foods is, is so far, let me count them up, zero. Zero. And there is no evidence that your phones are giving you cancer. Uh, if, if they were, we would all be dead. Let's just bring that to the table, shall we? Um, and yet we're afraid of these things. And those same people will tell you, well, there's no evidence that, there's, that Jesus ever lived. I'm going, why are you afraid of things you shouldn't be and don't know what is? Data is real. You have to, I, reality's a pain. I get that. I do. At my age, it's literally a pain. When I wake up in the morning, I don't leap out of bed like toast. Uh-uh. I come out of bed like God's most reluctant servant because I really am. And not even a Christian, frankly, for the first 15, 20 minutes. And, and, I, and I don't have the benefit that some of you do. Some of you are able to get coffee and then uh, achieve humanity. I, I can't handle the taste of coffee. Can't stand it. Uh, so humanity has to be something I find later through the day. Uh, through, perhaps through natural means, if at all possible. Jesus wants us to believe what is true. Some of you believe the, a third of the world lives in abject poverty. Not anymore. Read an interesting book by, uh, by Hans Olsling called Factfulness, and you'll see everything's trending better. But we're told by newspapers and media, panic, because it sells. Fear controls. And that's what they're trying to do. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Even Bart Ehrman who is a noted skeptic, a scholar, and an agnostic, says that the evidence is solid, plenteous, and unquestionable Jesus existed. Now, Bart Ehrman, Dr. Ehrman, uh, does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God because he doesn't believe in God. If, if you're wondering, well, why does that intelligent man not? He wrote a book about it called God's Problem, and you'll find out it's why a lot of folk don't believe in God, and that is that Bart Ehrman suffered in his life, and he is view if there is a God, God wouldn't let this happen. The whole is called theodicy, the study of the problem of pain. It has nothing to do with evidence, and he readily admits, and in fact has debated atheists, even though he's an agnostic, that say there is no evidence, and he's debated them and done it quite well. What evidence do we have? Let's start with the Gospels, and people go, no, you can't do that, you can't do that. And I'll say, why not? It's a written record. You don't question other written records. Whenever, whenever you, you go to Egypt, let's say you go to Egypt on vacation because you've not been paying attention to the news. And as you go there, they will say, these hieroglyphics here say that Ramses put this up. One of the Ramses. There's quite a many, a lot, not, not, not the Nashville one. The, um, the, it is, it, it, it's, it's even spelled different. And they'll say, he put this up. You don't go back there and go, yeah, I was, you can't believe that. Hmm. Well, you go over here in Samaria, and you can see this, and it says Sennacherib, King Sennacherib fought this battle, and you don't go, yeah, right. But when you come to the Gospels, and we says, this is what happened to a man named Jesus, you go, oh, we can't trust that. Why this? And all the others you accept. That's crass bias. That is willful ignorance. 
So some will then have a defense. They'll say, those weren't written for hundreds of years after Jesus. What's your evidence for that? In fact, Luke quotes Mary's private thoughts and other interviewees. And Mark existed so early that Matthew and Luke were able to use Mark as a source material. And nobody in the first centuries doubted that these were the stories of Jesus. They had them. They knew Jesus. They knew the apostles. If the people on the ground at the time and who saw it and were witness didn't doubt it, who are you to say the Gospels are unreliable while you're running around believing everything else? Nothing but bias. The letters of Paul have to be entered into evidence as well. And someone to ignore him because he's pro-Jesus. Can I just ask you a question? In what other courtroom do we dismiss expert witnesses because you don't like what they have to say? You have to allow the experts to speak. And trust me, experts say things I don't like hearing either. And it, it just... But if they're experts and they've got the data, I'm going to need to hear it. I get that. Jesus is also mentioned in, by the early writings of a, of a guy named Josephus. Josephus was a soldier and a politician who lived from 37 to 100 A.D., his father was a priest, and Josephus actually rose up to be a general, if I understand correctly, of the Jewish armies before he was captured and switched sides and then uh, spent his life. And, and that may be a bit harsh to say he switched sides. History's a little dodgy on that. It seems that he spent the rest of his life trying to explain to the Romans who the Jews were, why they are as they are, by writing of their religion and their history and their faith. Josephus certainly would have heard one or more of the apostles preach. He absolutely would have witnessed some of the events described by Luke in the book of Acts. And he wrote this massive book. You can buy it. It's very cheap and very boring. So, you know, two for one. Um, it's, it's a little difficult to read. Called Antiquities of the Jews. To explain to the Romans, again, who they were. And perhaps the Romans would ease off of them. The Romans were considering wiping out the Jews, and Josephus was trying to, uh, to keep them alive. So he wrote the book. In Antiquities 2200, Josephus uh, describes the, the death of James, the brother of Jesus. And he calls Jesus, quote, who was called Christ. He writes of how James was killed at the instigation of the high priest, which again agrees with what we have in Scripture. There's Tacitus, who lived 56 to 120 AD. He was the historian for the Roman Empire almost his entire adult life. His book, Annals, covers the emperors from Augustus to Nero. He's the one who tells us, for example, that Nero blamed the fire that devastated Rome on the Christians. We would not have had that information without him. He wrote extensively. And he did, here's a quote. Therefore, to squelch the rumor, Nero created scapegoats and subjected to the most refined tortures those whom the common people call Christians, hated for their abominable crimes. Their name comes from Christ, who, during the reign of Tiberius, had been executed by the procurator Pontius Pilate. I remind you, he lived 56 to 120. This is not hundreds of years after the fact. This is during the fact. He sees it. And by the way, you remember what, last week what we said. The Romans accused them of horrendous crimes because 
Christians were considered atheists because they did not believe in the Roman gods and because they met quietly and remembered their king and that made them treasonous. So that's the crimes Tacitus is talking about. Tacitus is well respected by modern historians. They read him to get data on Rome and emperors. In fact, he writes during the time of the Christian, he validates, by the way, scripture. Who was in charge during the crucifixion? How was the growth of his followers accomplished in the next several years after the crucifixion? How did their faith challenge Rome? All of that is backed up by a writer who was there. We have data. And then Bart Ehrman again. I love Bart. I really do. And I'm not saying that with irony or sarcasm. He, he started as a very firm, conservative, actually kind of hyper-conservative believer. And then he was educated out of that. And that happens. And he got, he got uh, some face struggles and pain. And that happens. And yet when he writes, it's, it's fascinating. Do I agree with what he writes about? Almost never. But he's still such a good writer. I'll read his stuff. And yet he, an agnostic, remember, looks at all of the data and says this. You can't explain the crucified Messiah as something that was made up. If it is hard to imagine Jews inventing the idea of a crucified Messiah, where did the idea come from? It came from historical realities. There really was a man named Jesus. No Jew would have invented him. He's a historian. Historians agree. And we haven't even looked at the other writings from the first few centuries that still exist and speak of Jesus in exactly the same terms as the Gospels. People like Clement, Ignatius, and, and many others. And every single person who mentions Jesus in writing in the first 100, 150 years were fully convinced that he existed that he did what he said he did and claimed what he said, what, what he actually claimed. Every single one does. We have the data. We have the evidence. We have no writings from skeptics during that first early period that said anything like, it didn't happen that way. And in fact, the first writings from skeptics that we get is well after 150 years after the event, and they don't claim he didn't exist. They will claim, oh, he was, um, you know, his mother was raped by a Roman soldier, and she didn't want to tell anybody, and that's why they claim virgin birth. But that's about all that remains of that one document. It, nobody bought it. It's kind of like a book on the remainder shelf for 25 cents. It just doesn't show up. Why? Because nobody took it seriously. There were other false gospels written, but hundreds of years later, nobody took them seriously and they're still not in the Bible. And so when the History Channel goes, oh, the lost books of the Bible, number one, they're not lost. We know where they are. And anybody can read them in English translations on the web for free. Or you can buy them on Amazon. They're, they're not lost. Number two, they're not in the Bible, never were in the Bible, weren't kicked out of the Bible. Other than that, the show is completely accurate. <sighs> um... It's rather like the person that wrote us up uh, when I was uh, a minister in West Virginia for uh, a while. And the guy said that my wife played the piano in a church basement. And I wrote back and I said, well, we don't have a piano or a basement and my wife doesn't play it. But other than that, your article nailed us. Um, it was uh, completely. <laughs> Do you understand how the depth of this reality that we know the name and the life of a first century Jew? That's astonishing. 
quick, name the first 20 names that come up to your mind of first century people who weren't in positions of, of military or political power. Eh, time's out, because you're not going to. You're just not going to make it. But we know the name of Jesus. How in the world? That is staggering. And we have prophecies from books we know were written hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth. How do we know that? I'm so glad you asked. We have history. We have writings that show people had this book. They preserved it this way. They quoted it this way many years before Jesus. We have all of that data. And if that's not enough for you, we keep finding more. A little Arab boy is uh, wanting to gather his, his goats and sheep. But he doesn't want to go into the caves. You don't want to go into the caves because some of these caves are very narrow, very hard to get into. And they have snakes and spiders and scorpions. And so he throws a rock in and he hears breaking pottery. And he thinks that's fascinating. So he throws another rock in. <laughs> boys. Um, the, boys. Except mine. My boy's perfect. Um, in every way. Sorry about yours. Really, I am. My heart bleeds. They, um... So uh, then he goes to his uncle, they crawl back in, they find some broken pottery, who, but in them were, were books. And now the Dead Sea Scrolls, and what did people do? <gasps> they will upend Christianity. They will destroy, there are truths in here. And it didn't help that the guys that had it to, to translate it sat on them for 50 years. But eventually, they're all been put out there, even the ones not translated because they're little bits of fragments and we don't know what the puzzle looked like. The pictures are out there, so if you're a linguist, go for it. Every single, every single thing points to these scriptures were written long before Jesus. Everything about Jesus is right. Now, Jesus isn't really mentioned, although there's a son of righteousness, there's a Messiah figure through there. It, is, it all backs up everything we say. We have the data. In fact, there are so many predictions in the old scriptures that Jesus fulfilled by his life. And by the way, I heard one guy say, well, he only did that because he knew about the prophecies and he was trying to, get, he was trying to fulfill them. Okay, there are so many problems with that. I, I need to be born of a virgin. Let's arrange that one. I need to be born in Bethlehem. So he's got to arrange that one. Uh, I've got to be rejected by my people but leave, still leave behind to create a number of my people. That's going to be a little tough. The resurrection thing, um, seriously? It, it becomes absurd very quickly. For example, prophecies. Micah would be born, uh, Messiah. Micah says he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, that's not easy to do because Bethlehem was not a big city. It was not where Jesus and Joseph and Mary lived. This was a temporary event for them in their life. Or that he would be from the tribe of Judah. That comes from Genesis 49. That's a long time ago. That's anywhere from 1,100 years to 1,500 years before Jesus walked on the earth. And I give you that wide span because people argue. He would present himself riding on a, shall we say, donkey, in case I get in trouble, using the King James word, uh, in Zechariah 9.9. 9. Um, I always have to be aware that some of the kids don't go downstairs. <laughs> And uh, I have so many jokes. Uh, anyway, um, I have to be very, very, very careful because I love the kids, and it's, it's amazing to get the hugs and such. And by the way, 
I, uh, I nearly had a meltdown as, as Emily is singing. Her daughters waited and didn't go down to class until they heard their mama sing. And her little girl has her hands in the air praising. I'm just looking at that going, all right, you have three girls. I have three grandsons. Let's just take care of this right now. <laughs> we are gathered here in this company of witnesses. <laughs> She's saying amen. We have agreement. All right. Um, but you're, you're doing right. You're doing, you're, uh, kudos to both of you for what you're doing and what God is doing through you and those babies. But again, why would he ride on the donkey? Um, they, and stop it. I know what it sounds like. Um, if, if you're going to laugh, I have to use the other word. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's, a, it's a threat. It is a threat. Because kings rode in on those they were the only ones allowed to ride in on those. I don't understand that. I don't know why that was so important to him. But it's in the Old Testament. Only kings were allowed to do that. And he would ride like a king. He would be tortured to death in Psalm 22. He would arrive before the destruction of the second temple in Daniel chapter 9. The Messiah's life would match a particular description which I find haunting out of Isaiah 53, but also out of Isaiah 52. There's a whole section there I've put up for you. But it's a haunting one. And read all the way through 53. Suffering, silence at his arrest and trial, death and burial in a rich man's tomb, resurrection, it's all there way before it happened. Plus we have the historical data that it did happen and he was there. And I'm sorry, it's, it, to me, I get very frustrated. It's kind of like those people that say, oh, we're overpopulating the world. Look at the population. This is horrible. And I, I almost want to scream, except I'm actually not physically, this is as loud as I can talk. So I can't physically scream. I'm not allowed to slap them. But I'll say, do you understand why the population is growing? It's growing because the babies aren't dying. They have health care. We're not in England, 150 years ago, a third of your babies died before they reached the age of two. In America, it was worse. Now they live where they're not dying of diphtheria and cholera and dysentery and, or dysentery uh, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, either dysentery or dysentery. They're not dying of this because they're healthy and people are going, it's overpopulated. And I always just say, you know, fly around the world. Just fly over it. It's empty. It is empty. Now, true. A lot of space in Kansas. Nobody wants to go there. I get this. <laughs> I do. We're in Colorado driving to Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were signs, actually, that said, Call, free land is being offered. And I'm going, I can see why. I can. And I, can, I, can, I know why people stopped in Kansas and Nebraska. Because I've made that trip by car. And all of a sudden, you look up, you've gone all that way. And you look up, and there are the mountains. And you're going... All right, this looks pretty good right here. We're going to, yeah, I'm not trying to go over there. It's, it's so silly where we look at people and say, oh, why are people getting more peanut allergies? It's, it's very simple because we let them live. Weaker people live now because we give them medicine. And then they make babies. And then those babies have these genes. Should we then be thinning the herd? No, no, no. Love requires that we take care of the babies. 
And it, so in other words, what you think is a problem is a sign of love and grace and progress. Get the data. So do you want some more data? Oh, we got more data. How about these? Without listing all the citations, the hammer of history hits the nail. He was born of the seed of woman, born of a virgin, called the son of God, called God with us. He is of the seed of Abraham, son of Isaac, son of Jacob, tribe of Judah. All of these are prophecies written hundreds of years before. He is of the house of David, born in Bethlehem, given gifts at birth from men from distant lands. That's a quite specific prophecy. Uh, Herod kills the children. He would be called Lord. He would be called prophet, priest, judge, and king, anointed by the Holy Spirit, preceded by a prophet. He would begin his ministry in Galilee, performed miracles, taught in parables, entered Jerusalem on a donkey, rejected by the Jews, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money used to betray him would be thrown into the temple and used to buy a graveyard for the poor. All of these are quite specific. Would you please stand as we continue to read? And the hammer falls. Accused by false witnesses, refused to answer his accusers, wounded and bruised, spat on, mocked, hands and feet pierced, crucified with thieves, made intercession for his persecutors, hated without a cause, friends stood afar off, people shook their heads, clothes taken and gambled over, suffered thirst, gall and vinegar offered, he would cry, Eli, Eli, his bones would not be broken, his heart would be broken, his side would be pierced, there would be darkness over the land, and buried in a rich man's tomb. And that's not all of them. You want data? Oh, I'll get you data. I love data. Some people say, we just need, to believe, just need faith. You know something? The Bible says you, you need more. The Bible says the faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Get your data. Bring it to the table. Stop the assertions. Let's do the argument. Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter Stoner, a mathematician of some repute, worked for years with historians, uh, historians and archaeologists and wrote a dissertation on this, which I don't understand because <laughs> it's pretty difficult. However, he put it in Patrick terms so I could understand it near the end. He determined that anyone fulfilling these prophecies by chance would be beating odds that were 10 to the 157th power. That's a one with 157 zeros after it. By the way, there are only 10 to the 62nd power atoms in the universe, so those are long odds. So he put it in another term. He said, if you were to cover the state of Texas to the feet, uh, to the depth of a foot with silver dollars, Texas is big if you've not been there, and release a blind man at random, and he wandered about, and on a given signal, he was to reach down and grab the one single marked coin that's 10 to the 157th power. People, we don't believe in myths. We believe in the data. We believe in Jesus Christ. So would you say with me, we'll place up here. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. And the whole church says... <laughs>